0: Good to be able to be here and to be able to worship today. We're thankful for the opportunity, thankful for those who are here visiting with us, of course, and uh, we hope that you find a warm welcome here. I invite your attention this morning to the book of Revelation. That's uh, where we're going to be studying primarily today, and particularly Revelation chapter 5, and I'll meet you there in just a couple of minutes. The book of Revelation is a book of victory. Seventeen times in this book, you're going to find in the Greek New Testament the word nikao, nike. It is a word that means to conquer, means to prevail, means to be victorious. And you will find it in various forms throughout the book of Revelation in words like overcome, overcame, victory, conquer, prevail, and a number of others just like it. The book begins on this note of victory. Revelation chapter two and verse number seven, you read the first address to each of the seven churches in Asia, and in each one of these uh, addresses to these congregation, you will find a statement like this one: "To him who overcomes, I will give to eat uh, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God." And as the book goes on, we have these words of victory and overcoming and prevailing that that we find in verse after verse, like Revelation 2 and verse 10. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer, the scripture says. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you in prison that you may be tested and you'll have tribulation 10 days, but be faithful unto death and I'll give you the crown of life. In Revelation 12, verse 10 and 11, the scripture says, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come to the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down, and they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to the death. Speaking of those who had died in Christ Jesus... John said in Revelation 14, 13, that I heard a voice saying to me, Write, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors and their works follow them. Blessed are those who do his commandments, Revelation 22, 14, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter in through the gates of the city. This victory, this prevailing, this overcoming that we read about throughout this book is made possible for you and for me Because of the victory of the Lamb, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 18, Jesus says of himself, I am he who lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of Hades and death. Later in Revelation 17, verse 14, John writes and says, These will make war with the Lamb, speaking of the enemies of Christ and of his people, and the Lamb will overcome them, for he is Lord of lords and King of kings. In Revelation thirteen eight, the Scripture describes Christ as the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And this book, more perhaps than any other book in, in Scripture, tells us that Christ, the Lamb, has won victory for himself and he's won victory for his people. The heart of this is found in Revelation chapter 4 and chapter 5. In chapter 4, John looks and he sees God sitting upon his throne. He sees all of the heavenly hosts surrounding him in worship, crying out, Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. But then as we transition from chapter 4 into chapter 5, the eyes of John shift from the Father on his throne to the Lamb who is beside him on his throne. And in this chapter, Revelation chapter 5, we focus upon the glory and the victory of the Lamb. We've talked for the last couple of weeks about the Lamb of God being Christ and how he came to be our sacrificial lamb, but he didn't just come to be a sacrificial lamb, he also came to resurrect on the third day, and indeed he did. And by that resurrection, by that sacrifice, he has won the victory for himself, and he's won the victory for each each and every one of us as well. As we look at Revelation chapter 5 this morning, we see this lamb of victory, this victorious lamb, and we see it in three parts. First, in Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, we're going to see that there is a search for one who is worthy. And second, in Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 to 7, we'll find that one who is worthy, and that is the lamb who has been slain And then finally, in Revelation chapter 5, verses 8 to 14, we'll find as everyone, all of the heavenly hosts and every created being bows their knee in worship and adoration and honor and recognition of the Lamb who is victorious. Let's read together Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, and note this search for the one who is worthy. John says, And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? And no one in heaven or in earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open the scroll and to look at it. Notice a couple of things in this. First of all, notice the word worthy shows up twice. In fact, this word worthy will drive the narrative of the entire chapter. You have who is worthy in verse number 2. No one was found worthy in verse number 4. You are worthy in verse number 9. And finally, worthy is the Lamb in verse number 12. Notice also that as John looks at the right hand of God who sits on the throne in chapter 4... That now in chapter five he sees in his hand this scroll that is described as being written inside and on the back. It's an image that has to do with fullness or completeness. It is sealed with seven seals, a number that has to do with perfection. And then he sees this strong angel proclaiming, and this word proclaiming is in its its sense is ongoing. In other words, he is continually to continuing to proclaim, continuing to shout and ask. Who is worthy? Now that begs the question, what is this scroll? What is this book and why is it so important? In the next chapter, we'll begin to see uh, its contents unfolded as those seven seals began to be undone. And those seals in the next chapter will represent a number of things like conquest and war and famine and death and those who have been martyred for the cause of Christ and judgment on the adversaries and the enemies of Christ and of his people. But its full unfolding will not begin until chapter 12 and will end in chapter 22 when we see systematically the enemies of God introduced and systematically every one of those enemies defeated. One scholar comments on this scroll and describes it or identifies it as a book of victory, a book that holds the future. It is a book that describes in great detail what the Bible will also call the eternal purpose of God, His His plan from eternity for the salvation of mankind, for their redemption, that they might be able to be with Him in heaven forever. So it's not just any book. It's an incredibly important scroll whose contents are incredibly important. And the issue with this book is that not just anyone can open it. The angel is looking for someone who is worthy. And this is a challenge. This word worthy really has to do with being qualified. He's looking for someone who is of sufficient moral character and sufficient ability to be able to loose the seals and to be able to reveal its contents. But notice the word able. At the end of verse 3, that's the same word that gives us our English word dynamite. It's translated in other places in God's word as power. And so literally what he's saying is that there is no one here in heaven or on the earth or under the earth, no one has the power to be able to open the scroll or even look at it. No wonder then that John wept much when no one was, able, uh, when no one was found to be able to open it when no one was found that had the power to loose its seals and reveal God's plan and God's intention for his creation and for his people. But then look at verses 5 to 7. The search is over now because there is one found who is worthy, and only one, and he is described as the lamb who had been slain. In verse 5, one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, he says, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Then he came and took the scroll out of the the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Notice in this section, first of all, That as the elder proclaims to John, he commands him, it's imperative language, do not weep. Stop weeping, but instead look. Dry the tears from your eyes, and with clarity of sight and vision, look carefully upon one who is described as the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament book of Genesis chapter 49 and verse number 10, that um, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. It's a reference in prophecy to Jesus Christ and the fact that he's going to come of the tribe of Judah. And later in Hebrews chapter 7 and verse number 14, the Hebrews writer confirms what we already know, that it is evident that our Lord sprang forth from Judah. He is the fulfillment of the prophecy in Genesis 49 and verse 10. But then also in 2 Samuel chapter 7, as Nathan the prophet speaks to David, after David has planned to to build a house for God, God speaks back to him through the prophet and says, you're not going to build me a house, I'm going to build you a house, and I'm going to establish your seed forever, and there's going to be one after your seed who's going to sit on your throne, and he'll sit there forever and forever. And in Acts 2 verse 30 through 32 Scripture confirms to us that that prophecy is a reference to Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. And notice what the lion of the tribe of Judah and the root of David is, have done. Look at the word that he uses. He uses the word prevailed. This is our word of victory that spans the entire scope of this book, the word that has to do with power, the word that has to do with overcoming. He has been victorious to open the scroll and to loose its seals. And so, and so John says, I looked and I saw him. And I saw him standing as a lamb as though it had been slain. Remember, we've talked about the sacrificial lamb and the resurrected lamb. John sees that lamb. And he says that that lamb has seven horns. It's a reference to fullness of power and seven eyes, which is a reference to perfect knowledge, and seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth, which is a reference to the perfect presence of God. In other words, he sees this lamb who had been slain, the sacrificial and the resurrected lamb, now standing as the victorious lamb, who is omnipotent, who is omniscient, and who is omnipresent. Because of his victory, he has all power and he has all knowledge and he is present everywhere. How is it that he won that victory? How is it that he has prevailed? Jesus said of himself in Matthew chapter 12 and verse number 29 that um, one would enter into the house of the strong man and spoil his goods. He's speaking of himself and the fact that Jesus, the word become flesh, John chapter 1 verse 1 and following, that he entered into this world, the domain of Satan, and he beat the devil in his own game. He defeated him in his own house. John said in 1 John 3 and verse number 8, Jesus has been manifested to destroy the works of the devil. He came to destroy the devil who held, held the power of death, Hebrews 2 verse 14 and 15. He won the victory over sin. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 15, the Bible tells us that Jesus was like us, uh, tempted in every point, like as we are, and yet without sin. And then in Romans chapter 5, verse 20 and 21, the Apostle Paul talks about the victory that is found over sin and over death through the, uh, through the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15 The Apostle Paul says that as a result of Jesus' victory, that he's disarmed and made a public spectacle of all powers triumphing over them. Jesus said, I overcame the world, John 16, verse 33, and you can too. And in Romans chapter 6 and verse number 9, the Bible says that Jesus conquered death. And in Revelation 1 verse 18, remember Jesus said, "I am He who die, who was alive and who, uh, uh, excuse me, who died and now who is alive and who is alive forevermore." The reason that Jesus is able to take the scroll and to open its seals and to reveal the contents of the book is because he has been victorious. His victory over sin and death makes him the only one who is worthy the only one who is of sufficient moral character, the only one who is qualified to make known the mind of God and his will for his people and even his enemies. I've heard the death, burial, and the resurrection, or the resurrection, I should say, illustrated in this way, and I think it's it's interesting to think about, at least put some, some images to the principle. Imagine this. One Friday morning, the telephone rings in hell, and it's the grave calling, and grave says, we've got him, and hell says, good, keep him, and keep him locked up, but then on the Sunday morning following, the telephone rings in hell again, and this time, it's the grave calling, and he says he's escaped, and this time, he's taken the keys. Jesus' victory over sin and over death and over the grave is one that can never be undone, In Psalm 24, David, through the eyes of prophecy, he looks toward the time in which Jesus is going to ascend back into heaven. After having resurrected, victorious, and ascending into heaven, he is welcome as a conquering king. And Psalm 24 describes, through the eyes of poetic prophecy, what that welcome would be like when the gates of heaven are told to open and the hosts of heaven are instructed to welcome in the one who is mighty and who is victorious and who is described as a, a the king of glory John sees the lion of the tribe of Judah the one who is able to open the book because he's the king of glory he's the one who has been victorious he's the one who has prevailed And he's given the ability to prevail to each and every one of us as well. Now look at the last section of this chapter. In verses 8 to 14, the hosts are called to worship the Lamb. There's the search in verses 1 through 4. There's the finding in verses 4 through 7. And now there's the reaction in verses 8 to 14. And we'll read this together and then notice what we find in its contents. The Bible says now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders, they fell down before the lamb having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and has made us kings and priests to our God and will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders. The number of them was 10,000 times ten thousand, and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshiped him who lives forever and ever. Notice, first of all, in this section of worship that there are three groups. In verse 8, there are the four living creatures and the 24 elders. These are the ones that we read about first in Revelation chapter 4 who are surrounding the throne of God. Second, in verse number 11, there is the innumerable heavenly host, Notice the language. The number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. It's language that is to describe a multitude that is innumerable, the innumerable heavenly hosts. And finally, in verse number 13, every created being, every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, there isn't a single being anywhere who ceases to bow their knee in praise and honor and glory and worship of the Lamb who has been slain and won the victory. Notice also in this section that has to do with worship that we are told in verse 9 and 10 that the Lamb is worthy to take. He is worthy to take the scroll and to open the seals, the scripture says. But then also notice in verse number 11 and 12, he is worthy to receive He's worthy to receive power, that's dunamis, that's dynamite. He's worthy to receive riches, that's wealth. He's worthy to receive wisdom, that's insight. He's worthy to receive strength, that's power in action and honor and glory and blessing, that's praise. Because he is worthy to take and because he is worthy to receive, therefore all people must honor him. It brings to mind a section of Scripture that we find in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 5 and ending in verse number 11, where the Apostle Paul says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was found in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And then he goes on to say that, uh, therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow. And notice this, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we think about the victorious lamb, one of the primary thoughts that ought to enter our mind is the need to bow down and honor him with our lips as we praise him and as we worship him, with our hearts as we sacrifice and give them to him, and with our lives as we spend them in his service. The book of Revelation is a book of victory and that picture is seen no more clearly than in this exclamation of the Lamb in Revelation chapter 5. But we've said already that the Lamb's victory wasn't a victory only for himself, it's a victory for all of us as well. The Lamb triumphed over sin, Hebrews 4 and verse 15. We can triumph over sin as well. Read Romans chapter 6. Paul talks about the relationship between the Christian and sin and in essence he says there is no relationship because you're dead to sin and your life is hidden with Christ in God, he says. And he goes on to say toward the end of the chapter that we're no longer to yield or give ourselves over as servants to sin but rather we're to give ourselves over as servants to righteousness. Jesus triumphed over temptation. We can triumph over temptation too. James chapter 1 and verse 12 says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation. We can triumph over the devil. Jesus did it and we can too. James 4 and verse 7 says, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. And yes, we can even triumph over death. There's an interesting little section at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21 and 22, and I'd like to point your attention to it just for a moment. In these two verses, Paul makes this statement. He says, Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. In the context, Paul is dealing with sectarianism. He's dealing with the practice of these brethren uh, putting a man on a pedestal and giving more praise and more credit uh, and more attention to a man than a man deserves. And as he begins to wrap it up in verse 21, his initial statement of all are yours is simply to say, all people stand on level ground at the foot of the cross, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, we're all the same. But then he adds something to it in verse 22 that's interesting. He says, the world, or life, or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. What does he mean? Have you ever gone to the movie theater and watched a movie that was uh, very, very suspenseful? One of those kind of movies that keeps you on the edge of your seat, and um, you're completely zoomed in to uh, what's going on because... It's just so gripping. Did it have the same effect on you when you watched it the second time? Or the third or the fourth or the fifth time? After you knew the ending, every time you watch it, the suspense becomes a little bit less because you already know the end of the story. In a similar way, I would suggest to you that that's what Paul has in mind in 1 Corinthians 3.22 When he talks about the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. What he's talking about is the fact that Jesus has already come and he's already died and he's already resurrected and he's already ascended into heaven. He has already won the victory for us. So the end of the story has already been written. We know what's to come. And so there's no reason to be afraid We dare not allow the mundane issues of life to overwhelm us. We dare not allow ourselves to be swallowed up with fear or anxiety or allow ourselves to be intimidated by the devil and his his minions because in truth all the demons in hell could stand against us and it wouldn't matter because the victory has already been won. As we sang earlier in our service, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. The Bible tells us that the sacrificial lamb has also resurrected from the grave, and so he's the resurrected lamb, and as a result he has become the victorious lamb. And the Bible further tells us that all who submit themselves to his will and who allow themselves to be plunged and washed in his blood and give their lives over to his service, that they win the victory too. So the only question that's left to ask this morning is whether or not you've stepped into the realm of the victorious. Whether or not you've put on your Lord in baptism. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, John eight twenty four. Are you willing to repent of your sins, Acts 3 and 19? Confess your faith in Christ, Romans 10, verse 9 and 10? Be immersed in water, that you might come into contact with the blood of Christ, Acts 2 and verse 38? If you're willing to do that, then you can win the victory. But maybe it's the case that you're a Christian already this morning, And as you think about your life and as you think about the victorious Lamb of God, it has become all too clear to you that you've stepped away from Him. You need to come back. Victory can be yours. Victory is ours because of the victorious Lamb. His invitation is extended. And if there's any way in which we can help you this morning, then we invite you to come and let it be known while we stand and sing together.